And then I see the pistol. I'm in danger. I didn't belong to me anymore. I, like, belonged to, like, this kind of, like, ghoulish creature that had decided that he was going to be super obsessive and weird about me and totally upend my whole life. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. I am your host, Caitlin Murray. So we're trying out something new with the podcast. We're moving away from like expert Q&A format that we've been typically doing and more into like a real life storytelling setting because I feel like there's enough advice out there. You know, I think that we are all over inundated by advice and why not just like listen to a real story and have it provoke our thoughts and our memories and just, oh God, who doesn't love to be fucking told a story, right? I do. I just like want to go to bed listening to stories Anyway, today I have one of my listeners of the podcast, Alex, who has submitted a crazy story to be here today. She is due with her first baby in about three days. Welcome. Hi, Alex. Hello. Hello. I'm super jazzed to be here. I'm going to let us just dive right into your crazy story, which is about being held hostage. So I was working for a super bougie uh, jewelry retailer known for their iconic little blue boxes and little white bows. I think we can infer a bit there. And I had initially like grown up powdered milk for, right? Like hand-me-down clothes in a trailer. And this was like my first introduction to a big girl job in my early 20s. It was bougie and luxurious and like this exposure to like wealth and opulence that I wasn't accustomed to. And part of working at Tiffany and Company was you were always on the look for like your big fish, somebody that consistently spends an obscene amount of money with you. And there's incentives to do this. Not only are there financial incentives because it's commission based, but there's also opportunities to like go on business trips with these people, like take them shopping at fancy stores on Tiffany's dollar. And I really, really wanted that. I wanted to kind of like shed the cocoon of poor that I grew up in and and really immerse myself in this environment. And I found that person, or rather they found me. It was a winter night. This gentleman had come in with his wife. She was wearing like a floor length fur coat. I ended up helping them and they ended up spending $60,000 on two diamond rings. It was just an obscene amount of money. Was his wife in quotation marks name Svetlana? It was Olga. Okay. I just needed to, because I just was like in my mind thinking her name is Svetlana. What do you think she looked like though? Um, not, not actually super classy, like big lips, big hair, big tits. Absolutely nailed it. Yes. yes. So, so nailed it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. So uh, they ended up within six months of working with me, spending over $250,000 and That is how I was introduced to the man that would eventually 
hold me hostage for four and a half hours. Oh my God. So what happened from there? His name is Kevin. He started to come in more and more by himself. I'd be lying if I said it didn't feel nice to like mm. be chosen. Yeah. It, this person was like consistently choosing to spend money with me, like consistently choosing my company. And I'm getting a lot of encouragement from my store managers to like try to get him prepped for this event in New York, which is known as the Tiffany Blue Book Ball. And obviously that's sort of like the major leagues when you're a salesperson working for for Tiffany and company is like, if you can get there, like you've made it. And he gets to this point where he's like, hey, we should go out to lunch. Let's like, you know, talk about stuff. I mentioned this to my management team and they're like, absolutely, let's get this set up. This is super common. I do have a very distinct memory of just like feeling a sense of unease. Something does not feel right in my gut. Mm. And I remember walking into the restaurant and I have that, that feeling again of just like something being off because he stands up and he smiles really broadly at me and it crashes into me. I'm like, oh my God, this feels like a date. Mm. Did you pull out a brochure right away? Were you like, this is business? This is business. <laughs> Um, no. So we start like chatting and things are like kind of normal. And essentially like what I'm trying to do is like talk to him about like his job. What does he say his business is? It feels like from the Sopranos. Uh, like he said something along the lines of it's like he's in a, a truck rental business. Mm, money laundering. Yeah. It feels super money laundering. And he was like so ambivalent about it. So as we're like progressing, something I'm noticing too is like the wait staff are like very familiar with him. And they're also really good about leaving us alone. Like they're intentionally like avoiding us and only like bringing out like wine. He was like, you should order this food. And I was like, okay. Like, so he's ordering for me. He goes, yeah, I really wanted to invite you out because I wanted to talk to you about like being my personal assistant, like my personal shopper. And I was like, oh, and at the same time, I'm like entertaining this because I'm like, oh, shit, am I going to be like a cool, like bougie personal shopper for like a millionaire person? And like part of me is still thinking that would be like really exciting. And then he opens up his jacket and inside of his jacket. I see this leather holster and then I see the pistol. I also see that it's unsnapped. So it's not even secured in there. And that's like when everything started to go. I'm in danger. I am not safe. And at the same time too, he's been drinking like nonstop wine is coming out to our table. He's ordering bottles of wine. At the end of this, this lunch, he had drank over four bottles of wine because I was not. What? Yeah. Yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. So he's shit faced. He's absolutely shit faced. And essentially like we then deviate away from me, like being his personal assistant to like, he's loved me from the moment he's seen me. He has been coming in consistently because he is just so enamored with me. And he then starts telling me, you are going to be my wife. 
I'm assuming he's like 50 something. Is this? Yeah. Yeah. He's like 50 something. He's bald, has like big puffy fish lips too. Like he's not an attractive man. He looks like um, a version of Jeff Bezos that you ordered off of Wish. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting description. So, all right. So you're going to be his wife now and you're sitting there Mm -hmm. and are you like, I have to pee or something? What's, what's the plan? He eventually gets up and is like, I need to use the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, thank God. He comes and he sits down next to me. He like kneels and he says to me, you better be here when I get back. Oh, my God. Then he grabs my face like with his hands very, very gently, mind you. And he goes, I want you to kiss me like a mother kisses her son. That is, well, what in the Mormon tabernacle choir is happening right now? (laughs) He then starts kissing my mouth, my cheek, the like my neck, and then like putting his hands down my shirt. And then he stands up, well, stumbles upwards to like go take a leak. And I get asked at this point, like, why didn't you leave then? And the reason why I didn't was the bathroom was right by the exit. And I, was like, if they leave, what if he's waiting for me? And what if he shoots me in the back? And I am able to get out one text message, which is SOS help. And then I see three people walk through the door. And I remember putting my hands on the table and like starting to like lift myself up. And his Kevin's hands come down, slap mine super hard. He holds onto my wrists, looks over at, at my coworkers and he goes, She's not going anywhere. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm done. I bolt. I am sprinting in like six inch heels through this restaurant to like escape this person. I'm crying. My mascara is running. I'm an absolute mess. And like they ended up calling corporate and corporate was like, you call the police, obviously. (laughs) Like what the fuck are you guys doing? And so they call the police. They tackle him and they find out that his gun was loaded. There was a bullet in the chamber and the safety was off. I ended up trying to get a restraining order, but because the police considered this a singular event, instead of like, you have to have like a pattern, I wasn't able to get like a protective order or a restraining order against this person. He spent one night in jail. Um, My store manager encouraged me not to press charges. The reason why they didn't want you to press charges is because they would have been yeah. fucked. Yeah. Um, so he got like drunk and disorderly and brandishing a firearm, spent a night in jail. Did you continue working for Tiffany after that? I did remain working for Tiffany and company for a couple of months, but then like my mental health was like just deteriorating. I ended up starting to get like vertigo and I was having like night terrors, panic attacks. I was having panic attacks like three times a day. And that's that's physically and mentally exhausting on top of like not sleeping and constantly feeling like I was being followed. And at the same time, I am thinking, what the fuck is wrong with me? It was just like such a terrifying experience to like not feel at home in my body. I like belonged to like this kind of like ghoulish creature that had 
decided that he was going to be super obsessive and weird about me and totally upend my whole life. And are you connecting your panic attacks to the Kevin event at this point? No, I see. And that was like the thing is like, I didn't fully realize that. And it took years. It it literally took like at least like two years for me to realize like that was a really profound and fucked up thing that happened because there's this tendency to like want to minimize our own experiences, especially like within the scope of comparisons. Because I could say, well, at least I wasn't raped or at least I wasn't shot. I remember actually going to my GP and my GP like asking me, it's like, did you, have you experienced like a, any traumatic event? And I said, no. So at the time when you were talking about this event happening to you, you were kind of like laughing about it with people. Like it was kind of a joke. Yeah. Oh, it was hilarious to people. It was, it was absolutely funny. People were like, oh, that's so, that's so wild. That's so crazy. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's totally weird. And yeah like nobody like was like oh my god i'm so sorry that happened like that's not okay like like there was nobody around me saying that and when i started to experience what were very clearly like signs of ptsd it spiraled really quickly which sort of like launched me into like therapy and and, and all of that. So was it there was your therapy really targeted around that moment or was it that moment of you know your like the the surfacing of your PTSD that brought up other instances of trauma throughout your life and maybe like was the cause of the PTSD. So I was set up to be really complacent in my PTSD and minimize my own experiences because of events in my past, because of like the relationships that I'd had, like with my mother, um, with like previous partners, like it all started to like, kind of like bubble up. I quickly started to realize like, I can't leave all this other stuff unresolved that left me susceptible to that traumatic event because ultimately it deeply impacts my relationship with this diagnosis as well. Can you share more about your relationship with your mom? Um, yeah. So I think like with the the relationship with my mom is like, she raised me as like a single parent. I'm very grateful for that. But I was also responsible for making sure that she felt okay at my own expense. So I remember a a circumstance where my mom remarried my stepdad. He was abusive. He was uh, addicted to methamphetamines. And there is a circumstance in which they had a fight. I was in my room at this time. He ends up driving away with like our car. And my mom is like on the hood of the car, like screaming at him to like, stop, don't take the car. Like, and I'm like, this is fucking whack. And she rolls off the hood of the car. He drives over her foot. And I'm just like, 12 or 13 years old going like what the fuck is happening my mom comes back inside the house and she's crying and her foot is bloody and i remember going into our bathroom grabbing the first aid kit and picking out all the gravel from my mom's foot and cleaning up her foot and wrapping it and that is like my relationship with my mother is her caregiver And she was also the person that told me 
indirectly that I had to, as a woman, as a partner, sacrifice and like be okay with that type of treatment because she let him back in. So this makes me curious to know more about your ex-husband who you were with during this whole Tiffany and Co. fiasco and the aftermath. Like, what was your relationship like with him? Yeah. So he followed like a lot of typical, like, like what are like almost like glaringly obvious, like patterns of abuse. Like he's a self-admitted like narcissist. He's like, his parents are psychologists. He's like, yes, I'm a narcissist. Like I know, like deal with it. And also that event with like Kevin and like Tiffany and company became an excuse for his abuse to exercise power and control over me as a victim. It's like, you can't trust yourself because you let this thing happen to you. Like you said to me, like you, you had like a gut instinct that, that you weren't going to be okay. Like, how can you even trust yourself? You ignored that. You're, you're not smart enough to know what's good enough for you. And he slowly started to isolate me from like my family at a time where I could use more support. Like I'm in the middle of like really acute and exaggerated PTSD and I I needed help and I needed support and I needed love. On top of that, he slowly started to isolate me from friends. Eventually, um, I kept on not getting better. I kept on trying to like find therapists. My husband would like shoot down the therapist I was seeing was like actively sabotaging like my recovery efforts. Like I was trying to like claw back like my sense of self and identity and to like be okay. And eventually things started to escalate to the point of physical violence. But I eventually hit this point where I realized if I don't leave, one of us is going to die and it's probably going to be me either by his hand or by my own. So I asked for a divorce. We sat in that couples counseling session for like 40 minutes with him being like dead quiet. And I remember the clinical counselor, like my ex-husband stands up and he leaves. He's like, there's nothing else to say here. And I get up to leave and she puts her hand on my, my forearm and she goes, stay. And she goes, we've learned some really disturbing things from his therapist as well as as from yours, that leave us highly concerned for your safety. We need you to stay here. And that was a very jarring moment because I know for for that type of disclosure to happen, there needs to be a significant threat. And that significant threat existed and was also really validating because I knew it wasn't just in my head anymore. Like other people were seeing this too. And is that the first moment you were feeling seen by someone and really like looked after yeah that was like a moment so profound and significant where I was just like oh my god I'm I'm like I am seen and I am heard and this isn't just me like this isn't just like me and like the label of my PTSD causing issues like I am hurt and I am wounded and the things that are happening and have happened to me have not been okay and that was like, remains like one of the the more like significant moments in my life. That's such a beautiful moment. I'm, I'm so happy you got out of that vicious cycle. Me too. Because now I'm with somebody who is like spectacular. 
like across the board and you're just like holy shit there's like the 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 extreme sides of the spectrum here are like really really profound and I'm like oh wow this is nice and i am deserving of like this type of love and that type of love is out there and exists and you don't have to like compromise on it i think that's something that that you know we are expected to do a lot of the time as women in particular is like oh, if he's not outright hitting you, that's good enough. And it's like, no, that's a pretty low fucking bar. Like the bar is on the ground and it is really nice to be with somebody that raises that bar really highly. I'm sure this has like taught you something, a big lesson about life in in a lot of ways. And you're about to have a a daughter in a couple of days. Like, and at some point you're going to be passing pieces of advice on to her and what is like something that you learned about yourself or about life from this that you would want her to know? Oh yeah, that I I think about that a lot, and it's it's a it sounds super cliche, but it's the trust your gut. That whole experience, there was a handful of very specific moments that I can recall where I had that deep gut instinct telling me, like this isn't safe. And I consistently ignored that because I was encouraged to do so because other people told me I should and I wish I had. And and so like, as I think about having a daughter in particular, I think, you know, our body has a lot of innate wisdom and knowledge. And I want to make sure that she knows that she can dial into that. And if something doesn't feel right, like she should listen to that. And that should be, it doesn't, for for it, not for the sake of like other people's comfort. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that way. That's one of the main things that I always say in terms of like, what's your one piece of advice or whatever, it's trust your gut just because of things that I went through with my son and being sick and just knowing that I knew that something was going on deeper with him. Um, before, I let you go. What's your favorite snack? I am a sour gummy bear connoisseur. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's very niche. My uh, top tier gummy bears are the Albanese sour gummy bears. Sour gummy bears. Are they kind of like a sour patch kids? I don't think I've ever had a sour gummy bear. What? Thank you so much for listening. If the show tickled you, inspired you, share it with a friend and please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because it's actually really helpful to me. And if you want to share your big time adulting moment or be a guest on our show, please write to me at bigtimeadultingpodcast, all one word at gmail.com and subscribe to my magazine, Soul Snacks, where I curate everything you need to know into a tiny, neat little space. Now get yourself a snack. <laughs>